Welcome to the Mind Game. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Northridge. My name's Aaron. We're excited to be together today on Mother's Day. Mothers, man, what an important, these are some of the most important, powerful people in the world. So grateful for all the moms. I think of my own mom, man. She's had to deal with, for my entire life, she's had to deal with my brother and... um, My, my wife, I mean, this morning, one of our boys woke up totally inconsolable, and the other one woke up totally soaked in some mystery liquid that, who knows, <laughs> I was just nuts. I mean, moms do such amazing work. No matter how you mom, in, inside of the home, working outside of the home, whatever that looks like, moms are so important and powerful. We're just so thankful to be able to celebrate them this morning. Let's do that. Yeah. But hey, I also got to say, um, we're talking this morning, we're scheduled to talk about guilt <laughs> of all things. I was like, really? Wow, planning really worked out there. No, I felt terrible. I'm like, this is the worst possible topic to talk about on Mother's Day. And then the more I thought about it, I'm like, what if it's actually perfect? Because my wife, she's been a mom now for a little over four years. And when I think about like, what's a recurring theme in my wife's momming, it's mom guilt. I'm telling you, this stuff is bad. It's toxic. It's powerful. And man, I'm telling you, it seems like every mom experiences this at some point where they're thinking like, I'm not good enough or I'm not doing enough or whatever. I'm a bad mom. I don't know what it is about momming, but that seems like it's so common. And I just got to say to the moms, mom guilt is bogus, okay? I'm telling you this. Moms, you are amazing. You are doing enough for your kids. You are a great mom, and we absolutely love you, okay? I just have to say, we're going to clap for you again, because we love moms. Come on. Now to the notes <laughs> no, of actually what I wrote down. No, but seriously, we love moms. And I, we, of course, want to acknowledge as well, if today's hard for you and it's hard for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons, it, we want to say it's okay to not be okay. As a church, we want to be with you on difficult days like this. Please let us walk alongside you in your pain, no matter what that might be on a day like today. Uh, But last week in our series, we zoomed in on the conscience. And so we're going to be doing that again today. What is the conscience? Let's get going on this morning's topic. The conscience is your awareness of what is right and wrong. It's your awareness of what is right and wrong. And whether you know it or not, your conscience is a very important part of who you are. But we talked about the fact that while everyone has a conscience, no one's conscience is the same and no one's conscience is perfect. In fact, we said there are two unchangeable rules of the conscience. And the first one is this, only God's standards are perfect. Only God's standards are perfect. God is perfect. I am not. No one is. Okay, that's the first rule you have to know. But the second rule is this, always obey your conscience. Always obey your conscience. If your conscience says that something is wrong, it's wrong for you. And that's kind of the end of the conversation. But since your conscience can be wrong, we have to acknowledge that, there has to be some sort of mechanism for like correcting your conscience, right? If we're supposed to live in compliance with our conscience while knowing that it can be wrong, then we should really want to make sure that our conscience is on point, right? We don't want to be following or breaking rules that we don't want to be following or breaking, right? That's, we, we want to be right about this. And that's what today's message is all about. That's what we're going to be focusing on. But I do need to make a quick disclaimer as we're getting started, and that is We're going to be talking a lot about guilt today, how to fix our conscience. Um, But this process, it really only makes sense if you're a follower of Jesus. Okay, and I just need to acknowledge that up front. When you place your faith in Christ, a lot of things happen, but a few of them relevant here. The first thing is that you are fully and finally forgiven 
by the death of Jesus. When you place your faith and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins, you are given the opportunity to have a clean conscience. That's possible because of Jesus' death in your place. But then another thing happens, and that is that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And when that happens, your conscience becomes a tool that the Holy Spirit can then use to help you grow. And that's an important thing. But if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, then this whole process, honestly, it's not really even possible. And I'm not trying to isolate you. Like, I don't want to be a jerk. That's why we exist as a church, is to help people place their faith in Christ. So we would love to help you do that. We would love to walk with you on that journey so that you can be forgiven of all of your sins to have a fully clean conscience. It's an amazing gift. We'd love to help you walk through that. But just so you know, if you haven't done that yet, we're glad you're with us. But at the same time, some of what we're going to talk about today might not necessarily apply to you. Um, But for believers, we need to do the work of changing our conscience to bring it into alignment with the scriptures. So how do we do that? How do you change your conscience? Or how do you calibrate it to make sure that it's all working right? Well, we're going to be calibrating your conscience in five steps this morning, which feels like five easy steps. They're not that easy, but there are five steps, um, and we're going to be walking through them. So how to calibrate your conscience in five steps. The first step is this. Pray for clarity and courage. Pray for clarity and courage. And I want to be clear, okay, this is not cliche. Uh, This is not a step that you can just skip over because we cannot win this battle in our minds without God's help. We can't do it. We are riddled with blind spots. And if we aren't asking God to help us, we've got no chance, no chance. So we have to be praying. But there's another benefit of prayer, and that is that prayer is going to remind you that this is a spirit-led process. The conscience is ultimately a tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit. But honestly, it can be hard to figure out the line between like, what is the conscience and what is the Holy Spirit? Like, was that God leading me or is that just my conscience or was that just a bad taco? Like, how would I know, right? Like, what's the line there? Well, it is hard to know. Honestly, it's hard to know. But I would just say this kind of as a general principle. You should be expecting that as a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit is going to be working in your life. You should be expecting that. And so don't discount every feeling about right and wrong that you ever have and say, ah, it's just my gut, right? Don't do that. But then also, don't spiritualize every single feeling that you ever have and say that God told me. In prayer, what we need to be doing is trusting that God will give us the ability to discern the difference between our spirit and his. And as you're praying, this is super important, okay? As we're praying, this is where we're praying for courage. We need to commit ourselves to do or to stop doing whatever he calls us to. Whatever that is, even if stopping or starting is going to be very costly or painful or time-consuming, as we're praying, we need to ask God for the clarity to know what we're to do and the courage to actually do it. That's what we're praying for. So that's step one. Step two, you need to surround yourself with the scriptures. Surround yourself with the scriptures. Again, this is not just a cliche, like, read your Bible and pray. Like, yeah, we do say that, but it's not a cliche. You cannot skip this. When you understand God's word, You understand God's heart. There is no shortcut at all for knowing God's desires other than just immersing yourself in his word. I love this idea uh, that I got from another pastor. I love this. He says, your conscience is a skylight, not a light bulb. Your conscience is a skylight, not a light bulb. What does that mean? Well, a skylight, all it does is let light in from the surrounding environment inside, right? That's all a skylight does. A light bulb actually produces its own light, right? That's how those things work. So what that means is your conscience can only allow in as much light as there already is in the environment. 
If you keep your conscience surrounded by the light of the scriptures, then it's going to be able to do its work of bringing that light into your decision-making process. But your conscience is not a light bulb, which means it's not going to produce its own light. I mean, once it's dark outside, a window's kind of worthless, right? Like it's not helping you in, in any way. So if we remove the light of the scriptures from our mind, our conscience is not going to be able to help us overcome the darkness. And we're just going to make decisions like stumbling around in the darkness of whatever it is that we think in that moment. So if you want your conscience to rightly help you make decisions, it's got to be surrounded by the light of the scriptures. So first step is we've got to be praying. The second step is we've got to surround ourselves with the scriptures. And then the third step, we have to identify our guilt identify your guilt. And this is where things are going to start to get a little bit tricky, okay? At this point, we've asked God for help. We're asking for clarity. What do I need to do? Give me the courage to do it. I'm surrounded by the truth of the Bible. I'm ready to do this. But now what we have to do is identify where do we have a problem in our conscience? And probably the best way to identify where you have a problem is by following the warning lights. And guilt is functionally just like a flashing warning light that's saying like, hey, there's a problem here. That's what the guilt does inside of your conscience. And so if we're going to fix our conscience, it makes sense. Well, then let's go where the problems are, right? You probably have hundreds of things that you're doing right. That's not the place to start. The place to start is where you're either not, there's probably hundreds of things that you're not sure about or things that you know you're doing wrong. Those are the places to start. We can use guilt as a helpful way to prioritize the parts of our conscience that need fixing. But if we're going to go to the guilt, we're going to identify it. We might not realize this, but there are actually different kinds of guilt, And depending on what kind of guilt you're experiencing, you have very different next steps that you need to take in order to help that problem. And so we need to identify our guilt. And in order to do that, first, I want to give you a sense of what different kinds of guilt there are. And in order to do that, we have this, everything I do kind of is in like an Excel spreadsheet in my mind. So we're going to give you a chart that we're going to fill out, okay? If you're filling it out on the notes, um, you're going to want to go ahead and take your phone and take it like off rotation lock and take it into landscape mode, okay? And if you don't know what that is, you can write it on your paper notes that you have in your hand. I'm confident about that. Um, That's a different, (laughs) that felt insulting, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Sorry. Hey, I'm a paper guy too. It's fine. Uh, Anyway, okay, so we're going to fill out a chart. You can follow along. It's also going to be on the screen. I think it might already, oh, look at that. It already is. Cool. So you already knew. Okay, this is I wish I could see that. All right, three types of guilt. They are good guilt, bad guilt, and no guilt. And until we understand these three kinds of guilt, we can't identify them. So let's fill out this chart as we go, and let's look at good guilt first. What is good guilt, and what's the location of the problem if we have good guilt? This might sound weird, because most of us don't think of guilt as being something that's good. But like I said, guilt is just a warning light. And so good guilt happens in your life when you do a thing, and then you feel guilty, and then you're like, yeah, that was wrong. That's good guilt. That's what you're experiencing. Like, there's no question in your mind. This is not debatable. This is not some gray area. In fact, probably even non-Christians would agree. Like, yeah, that was not cool. You shouldn't do that. In that circumstance, what you're experiencing, that's good guilt. Your conscience is working exactly like it's supposed to. It's telling you, hey, you've done something wrong. So the problem here, the location of the problem, is not with your conscience. The problem here is with your actions. The location of the problem is your actions. And so a good scriptural example of this um, is in the first century, Paul, Christian leader, wrote some letters to Christians around the Mediterranean. He wrote a letter to the Christians in Corinth, and he kind of calls them out. Like, he's like, yo, you're doing some things wrong here. And then he follows up with that letter, and he says this, because they're not feeling, like, too hot about how he called them out. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says this, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. I'm like, sorry, not sorry, okay? Okay. 
because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves us no regret. Do you see what's happening here? He's saying, look, I know you were feeling guilty, but that's actually good because it led you to repentance. When good guilt does its job, it makes you change your behavior. That's what it's supposed to do. And so as you think about your life and you're trying to think about your conscience, if you're feeling good guilt, maybe you go ahead and identify that. Like, yeah, I've got some good guilt in this category of my life. But it could be that you're experiencing the second kind of guilt, which is bad guilt. Bad guilt. What is bad guilt? Well, bad guilt is when you feel guilty about something that you shouldn't have to feel guilty about. This is when something, like you do something and you feel guilty about it, but there are other Christians who are like, no, that's totally fine. Like, I don't feel guilty about that at all. And there are lots of examples of where bad guilt might show up. But in this case, the problem is not with your actions. You haven't done something inherently wrong. The problem here is in your conscience. The problem's in your conscience. Where where somewhere over the years, you've developed a conscience that has added restrictions on your life that God hasn't necessarily placed there. And this could be from your culture. It could be from your family. It could be from a book that you read one time that gave really good advice, but you took it as like, I have to do this. It could come from a million places. But it's possible that the guilt that you're experiencing is from an invalid standard. I mean, speaking of mom guilt, (laughs) I would say like all mom guilt is bad guilt, right? Most of the time they're not feeling guilty for like actual sinful actions that they've taken. It's that they're not reaching some unrealistic standard that nobody's reaching, okay? That's bad guilt. A scriptural example of this would be uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's writing to his young protege Timothy and he's describing a group of people. He says, they forbid people to marry. What? And they order them to abstain from certain foods. What? Which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good. Nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. Here, Paul, he's saying some people, they're going to add unnecessary restrictions. We need to reject that tendency and to be freed from any unnecessary guilt. So again, as you're thinking about your life, maybe you're experiencing good guilt, but maybe you're experiencing this second kind, this bad guilt. Or perhaps you're experiencing the third kind of guilt, which is no guilt. So this, you might be feeling a non-feeling, which is a strange thing to feel. (laughs) But how do you identify that you're feeling a non-feeling? I think there's a few different ways we can realize that we're feeling not guilty. Well, it could be that other people do a thing and they feel guilty about it. You're like, okay. Or someone says to you, hey, you should feel guilty about doing that thing. You're like, I don't. Am I missing something? Like, why feel like this is fine? Like, what's going on here? Am I crazy? What's what's happening? What am I missing? And when you're in that spot, it could be that you're in that spot for a very good reason. Could be that you're in that spot for a very bad reason. And we're going to talk about them both. Okay, what's the good reason for why you might be experiencing no guilt about a particular thing? It could be because the location of the problem is nowhere. (laughs) Meaning there is no problem. It could just very well be that you are living squarely within God's desires for you and your actions are in alignment with your conscience and there is no problem, there is no guilt and what you need to do is just keep on doing you, right? This is the best, this is the best. It's the freedom of living your life in the light of what Christ has called you to do confidently knowing that you're pleasing him. That's the best. And I hope that's what's going on when you experience no guilt. But I do wanna warn you, Just because you don't feel guilty doesn't mean that you're not guilty. It's not definitive proof of anything. 
I love this quote. It says this, a clean conscience is a necessary but not sufficient indicator of innocence. Think about that. A clean conscience is a necessary but not a sufficient indicator of innocence. In other words, you can't be innocent without a clean conscience. You can't. But just because you have a clean conscience doesn't mean you actually are innocent. Does that make sense? And so the reason I want to warn you is because there could be something else going on and it's a much more concerning reason why you're not feeling guilt. That reason might be that both your conscience and your actions are the location of the problem. You're doing something objectively wrong, so you should be feeling some good guilt, but your conscience has either been miscalibrated or totally turned off, so you're not feeling anything at all. And this is a very dangerous position for a Christian to be in, but it is very common. When you hear about a Christian leader who, um, who fails morally, right, they do something horrific, uh, it's not that hard to even imagine what that's like because it happens pretty frequently, right? You hear about these horrible things that they've done, and, but on the outside, it seems like, wow, everything was going fine. Like, what's going on? Well, what you're looking at in that case is a per- person in this category. They have no guilt, but they are deeply entrenched in sin. But look, it doesn't have to be about big stuff, and you don't have to be famous to be in this category. I mean, this could be about who you date, right, or what you watch, or who you talk about and how you talk about them, or how you spend your money, right? It could be, there's a million ways that we could all have blind spots. I think a good scriptural example of this is also from another letter Paul wrote to Timothy, chapter four, verse two. It says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. That's some vivid imagery, right? Seared skin has got no feeling. It's scarred, it's desensitized. This is a picture of somebody who knows better but they just choose to so repeatedly abuse their behavior to the point they don't even feel guilty about it anymore. It's possible that someone maybe just doesn't feel guilty because they haven't been explained the truth of the scriptures. That's possible, especially for a newer believer. It's totally possible. But that's pretty uncommon compared to the more common seared conscience. Not feeling guilty might mean that you are in a terrifying position of spiritual vulnerability. But remember, what we're trying to do here, big picture, is try to calibrate our conscience, okay? So that was just really an aside to explain the different kinds of guilt and so that we can evaluate our guilt. So what we have to do at this point, third step in the process, is we actually have to evaluate our guilt. Think about it. What are the different types of guilt and which one am I experiencing? Am I experiencing good guilt, no guilt, bad guilt? What is it? Different areas of your life are probably experiencing different things. And then you just stop and make a determination. In fact, I would encourage you to just think of one area. Don't think of a hundred. Think of one area. Focus in. What kind of guilt am I experiencing? And then really kind of decide on that. And then once you decide, stop and move on to step four, which is confirm your evaluation in community. Confirm your evaluation in community. Before you decide to like run out there and decide, I got it all fixed. I'm going to fix my guilt. Check with your community first, please. Because look, it is so incredibly easy to become self-deceived. There is wisdom in choosing to open up this part of your life to other people. Now look, I recognize, okay, there's a tension here. Because last week we said that your conscience is all your own, and now I'm saying run it by community. How do these two things work together? I do believe your conscience is your own, but I will say this. Your conscience is a personal tool, it's true, but it's a community project. It's a personal tool for your usage, but its development is a community project. So what you need to do is get some people that you trust, people who know the Lord, people who know you well, people who know your weaknesses well, ideally, and then tell them, hey, I think I'm experiencing this kind of guilt in this category of my life. And then 
Listen to the wisdom that God gives you through these people. Be open to the idea that you are wrong. It's called humility, okay? It's tough. That's an important step in this process. And then finally, the last step of calibrating your conscience. After you've prayed, committing yourself to clarity and courage, you've read the scriptures, your, light is, your, your heart is full of the light of the scriptures, you've identified your guilt, I know what I'm experiencing, I've gotten confirmation, my people say, yes, that's right, that's what you're experiencing. The last step is to make a change. Make a change. This is when you actually start changing your conscience. The rest of what I've described to this point is just set up, really. I mean, I'm not saying it's not important. It's very important, but it's just the groundwork because now we're actually going to get to changing the conscience. Remember, your conscience is your awareness of what is right and wrong, but I would expand that definition to say it's your awareness of what is right and wrong at a particular point in time. It's your awareness of what is right and wrong at a particular point in time. In other words, what that means is that it is somewhat fluid, okay? And I'm going to suggest it's not just that your conscience can change, but rather that your conscience should change over time. It should change over time. And the kinds of changes that it needs to make over time are to come more into alignment with the scriptures. And in order to know what kind of changes I need to make, we of course have to have identified what kind of guilt we're experiencing because that radically impacts what next steps are best. So let's look again. Again, in your mind, maybe you have a, an issue of guilt that you're thinking through. Now that you know which one you have, let's evaluate what the next step is for each type of guilt. Let's say that you are experiencing good guilt. Then your next step, if you're finishing that chart, is to bring your actions into alignment with the scriptures. Bring your actions into alignment with the scriptures. If you're feeling guilty because you've disobeyed your conscience, then get help in changing your behavior, right? That's our next step. This doesn't have to be mystical. It doesn't have to be some like weird thing. When we're in this spot, we just need to take the power of the Holy Spirit and the community that he's given us, being motivated by the gospel, the truth that we've already been fully forgiven, and then just get to a place where we choose the right thing. And honestly, <laughs> this is where most of us live most of our lives, right? I mean, this is where I live most of my life. I'm not like, it's not all this gray stuff all the time. I'm not like swimming in this water of murky uncertainty. I'm swimming in the waters of crystal clear self-justification and selfishness, okay? It's fun to talk about gray and debated areas. I mean, I love it. I love that stuff. But most of us are sinning in black and white categories where we know it's wrong. And that's where we probably need to focus our efforts when it comes to our conscience is those areas of good guilt. But what if you're experiencing bad guilt? What if you're experiencing bad guilt? What's your next step? Your next step is to bring your conscience into alignment with the scriptures. Bad guilt, good guilt, we're bringing our actions. Bad guilt, we're bringing our conscience into alignment. And this can be a very, very tough and tricky thing to do. I gotta admit. This is mostly gonna be about subtracting things from your conscience that don't necessarily need to be there. And the thing that makes this so tough at the end of the day is that you probably have a very good reason why you have that standard in your life of saying that this thing is right or wrong. You're probably, maybe you're just being wise, right? And you're erring on the side of caution. I get that. Maybe it's all about how you were raised and how you've always thought. Or maybe it's because you know your own weaknesses and so you kind of draw like a stricter line for yourself. Or maybe you've seen freedom abused, so you're just trying to be careful about that. There are lots of good reasons to be like unnecessarily strict in certain situations. That is a thing. But the thing is, once you've added that extra layer of personal conviction that doesn't have to be there, it's really tough to reverse it. It really is. 
Taking something out of the realm of sin and bringing it into the realm of being okay can be very disorienting, very disorienting. But I want to be clear here, okay? The point of this is not so that you can like do more edgy stuff and be one of the cool kids, okay? That is not the point of this at all. And I'm going to take drinking alcohol for example, okay? Speaking of controversial issues, right? In the church. The scriptures, they give some very clear and very strong warnings against alcohol. Very strong. However, drinking in moderation is not expressly forbidden by the scriptures. But if you're the person who's not comfortable drinking alcohol, even in moderation, the goal here is not going to be like, change your conscience so you can drink with the cool kids, okay? Not the point. In fact, at the end of this process, you might get to a point where you still choose not to drink. In fact, you might even feel very strongly that you personally could not drink and be honoring to the Lord. That's totally fine. The goal of changing your conscience is not to change necessarily your behavior, but to open up your mind to the fact that someone else might be able to engage in that behavior and do it in a way that pleases God. Training your conscience to accept gray area issues, it becomes very delicate. Because if you start doing something that you used to think was sin, it's going to feel like sin, right? And it's not a good habit to get into to continually do things that feel like sin. That's searing your conscience. We don't want to get into the habit of doing that. And that's why this is so tricky. Because what we have to do is we have to see conscience subtraction as a process of strengthening our conscience. Just like a workout strengthens your muscles, I've heard. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm just going <laughs> to... Conscience is catching some comments here. All right, you are strengthening your conscience in, in these workouts to reframe any particular issue in a more biblical light. You're training it. You're not searing it, forcing it to accept sin. You're training it to bring it into alignment with the scriptures. And I want to be clear again, this is a community project. Ask mature Christians to help you. Make sure they feel good about how you're going about this issue and which issues you're picking. Don't just run out and start doing like sketchy stuff on your own. That's not a good idea, at least in my conscience. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Strengthening your conscience by subtracting is going to require time in prayer, careful Bible study, engaging in trusted resources on this particular issue, discussing, even debating these issues with mature Christians, and then slowly walking through a process of thinking differently. But the result, it is worth it. Because what happens is that you will have the ability to have grace for other people who differ with you and to avoid unnecessary guilt if you ever choose to engage in these previously prohibited activities. Here's some examples of things that maybe you want to think through related to your conscience and subtracting some things from it. And I'm going to give these, and don't laugh, because some of these are, these are real for people, even if they're not real for you, okay? Things like, should I, get, should I be able to get a tattoo? One for me, should I be on social media? Or another one, should I get a vaccine? Is it sinful to use certain instruments as we're worshiping God? Is it sinful to celebrate Halloween or to uh, perpetuate Santa Claus? Is it sinful for guys to wear shorts? And again, before we laugh about any of this stuff, just remember, these are real things that Christians have to work through. They're, they're very tough. And look, I picked a wide selection, hopefully to catch a number of people, because your issues, they might be different. But everyone has specific issues that are specific to their life experiences. And our responsibility isn't to be like, that's dumb, why do they care about that? It's to bring our conscience into alignment with God's word. 
So that's how we handle bad guilt, okay? But what do we do about the no guilt people? That kind of depends, right? It depends on why you're experiencing no guilt. So let's assume that you're in the position where you're in the clear, you're doing the right things. Your next step, very simply, is to keep your actions in alignment with the scriptures. This is all about maintenance of the good progress that you've already made. If things are going well, then keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the one who maintains your faith and gives you the ability to endure in obedience. Just keep going in obedience. But what if you're in that final category? What about the no guilt where your conscience is seared? Your next step is to bring both your conscience and your actions into alignment with the scriptures. Your conscience and your actions. Remember, this is a person who's not feeling guilty despite the fact that they're doing something that's wrong. So the process has to be to first fix the conscience and then second of all, to fix the actions. With bad guilt, you're having to subtract rules that don't need to be there. With this no guilt, you need to add to the conscience things that should have been there in the first place. You have to come to a place where you reframe certain actions or thoughts as wrong that you used to think were fine. And so first, what that's going to require is submitting yourself to the process of changing how you think. And honestly, this is probably going to be hard. And it's probably going to be painful. It might even be financially costly to you, depending on what kind of thing you are struggling with. But we've got to have the humility to accept the fact that we've been wrong and to be sensitized to what God wants us to be sensitized to. And once again, community, man, can be so, so helpful here. Maybe they give you a book or a podcast that was helpful to them on this issue. Or maybe they just tell you a story of how your particular sin struggle or issue has a negative impact on them or people that they love. And you're like, wow, I've never seen it from that perspective before. That's super helpful for me to understand. Regardless, we need to renew our minds if we're going to change. That's the first thing when we have a seared conscience. We've got to change how we think. Maybe you need to rethink. I mean, these could be issues that you're working through. Should you watch nudity in movies? Or how far is too far in your dating relationship? You might have to rethink that. What's your view of birth control or reproductive technology? How much time is okay to spend on sports or hobbies or time away from your primary responsibilities? Is that political affiliation okay for a Christian to have? These can be, some of them, black and white issues, and some of them very gray. They can be tough. But the first step is to always begin by thinking properly. And then, after you're thinking properly, then we can begin the process of the second step, which is to very simply join your family in Christ on the lifelong journey of trying to do what we already know is the right thing to do. Remember what I said earlier, this is where most of us live our lives. Again, not in the gray, in the black and white of simply failing to do what we know is the right choice. And so what I'd be asking you to do if you're in this final category, once you've come to see your world through the lens of the scriptures properly, join us, join your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in the process of being conformed in both our minds and in our actions so that we can look and act like Jesus together. Here's the thing. When it comes to calibrating our conscience, there are a million questionable issues, right? Where you're not going to be sure necessarily what's right and wrong. There are also endless black and white issues where we will, even though we know the right thing, selfishly choose the wrong thing over and over and over again. And so this is a journey this is a community project, and we will all need grace for each other and even for our own failings. And we're all going to need second chances. 
But I'm convinced of this promise. God will never give up on this work in our lives. He will never give up on it. And as we close, I just want to pray a promise from Philippians chapter 1, kind of over our church as we think about this issue. Um, It's a prayer that Paul prayed for his friends in the city of Philippi. And I think it's important for us to understand that this is God's heart for us. So would you pray with me as we think about Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Let's pray. Lord, we are confident of this. We are confident, we are believing that you, who began a good work in us, who initiated that good work in us, who sought us when we were your enemies, you began a good work in us, you will carry it to completion. You will carry it to completion by grace, by your spirit, and through your church. You will bring us into conformity of your son, Jesus Christ, on the day that he returns. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.